Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turner Takeover. Of course, I am your host, Mr. Ricky Turner. And today, we've got a lot to get into. We're going to separate again the NFL and NBA podcast into two episodes because, number one, I haven't done one in a while. I've just been sick these, you know, this past week. I've had a cold. Um,. What else? I had a wedding, so I did, you know, prepare for that, which took some time out of my day. And of course, I had my radio show, so there's just been a lot of stuff piling up. And, you know, also preparing to go back to Temple in a little, actually a month today, I will be officially moving back to Philly and getting ready for my junior year at Temple, which is awesome, of course. Can't wait to get back. Um, But, you know, we've still got a month, so... We're going to, you know, keep it that way. Um, But today, this is just going to be the NBA portion. We're going to be getting into the finals. Um, So far, you know, again, I plan to get this out last week. But because, you know, I have written here on my, you know, little agenda game three. So I think that was last week sometime. And now we're on game six. Um, You know, I wanted to get this out early in the series because now it, you know, sort of looks like, you know, I'm siding with the Bucks, which I was going for Suns and Six. But um, we're going, you know, we also have trade rumors of, you know, big stars, Ben Simmons, Damian Lillard. Um, What else? Um, New head coaches around the NBA, coaching changes. And, of course, DeMar DeRozan to L.A., those rumors were swirled earlier last week. And how do I like that move? And, you know, if I don't, you know, if that move doesn't happen, what are some other alternative moves that are going to happen? And again, I've done a lot of Lakers material. I have scouted this team from from top of the roster to bottom of the roster. I know what this team needs. And, you know, Lakers could take my advice if they want. Again, this is free advice. They could even, you know, if, if they want, they could even hire me to, you know, maybe... You know, maybe the roster planning staff or something, you know, a front office job. That'd be dope. I I wouldn't mind that. But of course, I'm not even a Lakers fan, too. I'm a Wizards fan. But still be dope. Uh, But let's get into the NBA Finals. Uh, Game, game five was on Saturday as the Bucks pulled it out. 123-119. And this is actually like the first game in the playoffs, or at least in a while, that I've seen the big three of the Bucks all have good games, all play consistent for, for four quarters. Um, Giannis had 32 points, nine rebounds, six assists. Holiday, 27 points, 13 assists, three steals, and a game-clinching steal, and in the alley to Giannis's oop to put the game out of reach. And Chris Middleton at 29, seven rebounds, and five assists. Um, you know, looking at the sun side of things, Devin Booker drops his second straight 40-point game. Ah, Devin Booker. Almost. But no cigar. Or so close, but no cigar. Chris Paul, 21 points, 11 assists, and DeAndre Ayton, the 2010 machine. That's what he had, 20 and 10. Um, you know, first quarter, I'm like, Suns got this. I thought it, it looked at first, like it was going to be a rout, a rout, and just a, a bludgeoning of Milwaukee in Phoenix. It didn't go that way. It did not go that way. No, no, no. Because the Suns, although they were up 37-21 at the end of the first quarter, Milwaukee 
Um, I'm not sure if the Suns thought this game was over, if they thought Milwaukee would roll over and just say, okay, you know what? You got us. We'll try and take game six at home to extend the series. No. Um, Milwaukee goes for outscores Phoenix 43 to 24 in the second quarter. In the key run of that second quarter, Milwaukee took Giannis out and they outscored the Suns by eight. Giannis is their most consistent player. Chris Middleton, at the end of the first quarter, was one of seven. You know what he finished that game? Do you know what he finished that game with? Good, because I don't know either. Um, I know he he started hitting shots at one point. He was I think he made three straight. He was like four or ten. But at the end of the game, Chris Middleton, he missed six shots in the first quarter. The rest of the game, he missed five over the next three quarters. He finished 12 of 23. Uh, yeah, Devin Booker had a pretty good night after that. Um, but yeah, uh, second quarter, Milwaukee just came rolling back. And I'm not, it, it looked like Phoenix rolled over after that. Because that carried into the third quarter as well. Because... Milwaukee won the third quarter by seven, and all of a sudden they're up ten going into the fourth quarter. And they, they, Phoenix makes a little bit of a run. They get back into it um, late. Devin Booker makes some shots. Chris Paul makes some shots. All of a sudden it's down to like, I think, I, I think a one point game because Chris Paul made the driving layup, and then I think the Milwaukee missed the shot. Phoenix comes back down. Booker. When, when, when Booker had it, I think they knew. They're like, Devin Booker's not giving this ball up. He, I mean, he had 40, so, I mean, he's probably not going to give it up. And I, and he has a comparison to Kobe Bryant. Um, but, yeah, he's not going to give that ball up. They knew it. Booker, they they sort of, like, trap him. I, I think all three, they, they had three people around Booker. Uh, Booker, I don't think he saw Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday comes from behind, strips him. Um, they go down the court. Holiday lobs it up to Giannis. I don't know why Chris Paul tried to even contest that alley-oop. He got Giannis an and one, which Giannis missed the free throw. Um, I mean, it puts him up three. Giannis is, I mean, Chris Paul's six feet. And around maybe a little over six feet tall. In the NBA, that's like midget, midget size. He he's he's bite size, and he's trying to defend like a, a family or you know, I don't know what are those you know candy bar packs with like two in them. You know, you see like the long Snickers pack with like two in it. Yeah, that's what Giannis is. Um, so I don't know why Chris Paul decided to contest that, and it was it looked like a dirty play to be honest with you. He he tried to extend that you know forearm. He had no shot. He should have just let Giannis dunked it because you still have, you know, what, 15 seconds after that? And then um, Giannis missed the free throw. He was 4 of 10 up to that point. He just struggled shooting free throws away from home because, you know, Phoenix, the crowd counting him down. One, two, three, yada, yada, yada. Giannis missed the free throw. But... Missed it so bad, it came right back to him. He tips it out to Chris Middleton. All Chris Middleton has to do is make one more free throw, and it's a two-possession game, which he does ball game. So that's that's a bad look on Chris Paul. Not only did it look like a dirty play, he might have cost his team, you know. I wouldn't say the game, but he cost them a chance at tying the game. 
So that's just a bad look on Chris Paul. And Chris Paul just cannot seem to get over the hump. It, it's not over yet. Not over yet. Not saying it's over yet. But, you know, w- let's look at the factors that I thought were going to play a, a big role going into these finals. Uh, first of all, uh, first of all, it, it, it um, battle of the backcourts. So I thought this was going to be big. Um, Holiday and Middleton versus Booker and Paul. Um, you know, I, I thought Paul and Booker, for the most part, were going to be more consistent and outplay, outplay Middleton and Holiday. And they have, they, they had, they did for the first two games. Um, um, these next, you know, three, I think Middleton and Holiday have gotten the better of them all three. Um, but you know. You, you look at last night, too. I, I thought, you know, Paul and Booker were going to outscore them, you know, for the most part. I thought if Middleton and Holiday could at least keep the scoring close, keep them within 10, or, you know, even beat them in scoring, I thought Milwaukee had a good chance of winning this series. You know, before the series started, I thought I had Suns in six. I'll be honest. I didn't think the Bucks would be in this position. I didn't think they'd be up 3-2. But... Here we are. Um, you know, you you look at last night. Um, Holiday, Holiday and Middleton combined for 56. Paul and Booker for 61. That's not that bad. That's advantage Milwaukee. And you know why that's so huge? Because you look at Phoenix. Okay, you have Booker and Paul. They'll give you, you know, around 20, 25. You, Booker's probably more 30, 35. He gave, he gave you, he's given you 40 the past two games. Um, but who would be that guy for Phoenix? You know, you have you have DeAndre Ayton. He's good for around 20 and 10. But I don't think he's a guy who would give you 25-30. I don't think he's that type of player yet. I'm not I'm not saying he won't turn into that type of player. But not right now. He's, he's not that type of player right now. Um, you know, Mikal Bridges, we've seen him have big 30-point scoring outbursts. But he's not consistent. Jay Crowder could get hot from three. You know, all five Phoenix... Um, starters were in double digits that game. You know, they were really in position to win that game. It was just the big three of the Bucks when they all play well. And that's rarely, I, I think they have, they have the advantage over the Suns 10 times out of 10. Just because, again, they could they, they all went for 25 plus. And if you're the Suns, you just can't let that happen. Chris Middleton, his mid-range game, oh my God, was it smooth. He played well. Uh, Drew Holiday, not only is he a great defender, he could give you 20-25 a night. He could. Uh, he hit his shots. He made the mid-range. He got to the rim. 13 assists. Distributed well. Pat Connaughton, even off the bench, he gave you 14. And he's played well the past two games. I think he gave you 11 the game before. Um, So he's been really an under, an understory. Or, you know, a minor story into this. But he's played a role. But, you know, I... The, yeah, the reason that's so big, because Giannis is going to give you at the minimum. His lowest scoring game was game one when he, he didn't look like himself and they didn't really give him his, his normal touches. It was more Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. He still gave you 20 and 17. And they realized, okay, he might be healthy enough. And sure enough, game two, he drops 40. Game three, he drops 40. Um, I, I think game, f- game four, he might have only given you 20, 20 some. And then game game five, he gives you 32 because game 
Game four, I think, was the one. Middleton gave you 40. Um, but, yeah, I thought that, you know, was going to play a huge role in it. It, it did last night. You know, Giannis gave him 32. And, you know, the, the Suns almost won. And the Suns, it, it's tough for the Suns. You know what? You know, let me just get through these these rebounding, and, and I'll explain that later about how tough this is for the Suns. Um, you know, another factor I thought that would decide the series rebounding, and especially in you know games three and games four. Um, I, I thought Milwaukee going into this series, the one advantage they had, it wasn't shooting; it was being the bigger, more physical team. Yeah, I get the Suns have eight. But you, you're going up against Giannis, Bobby Portis coming off the bench, Brooke Lopez down low as well. I thought the one area that Milwaukee had was rebounding. And, and they were among the best rebounding teams in the league. I thought it was going to be tough to keep them off the glass. And, you know, games three, I think they've won the rebounding battle. They didn't win it last night. Or no, they did. They won it by two. But... I think they've won a majority of games in this series. I, I think they even won in games one and games two when they lost. Um, but it's just... It, it was more noticeable when Milwaukee was at home. When Giannis was just bringing down rebounds. Um, you know, winning the rebounding battle by, you know, 10. Um, I, I, one of the games, Milwaukee won the second chance points 20-2. to two, And you just can't let that happen. Um, Phoenix has had has to keep Milwaukee off the glass and not allow second chance points. And for the most part, they did a good job last night. They kept the rebounding battle close. If, if they could at least keep a close mo- with Milwaukee, you've got a shot. If you let them run rampant on the offensive glass, glass if you if you let Giannis, if you let Bobby Portis, Drew Holiday get these second chance buckets, it's over. And you know rebounding. Right off the free throw last night, Giannis misses a free throw. Giannis gets it back, tips it out to Chris Middleton. That won them the ball game. Chris Middleton makes a free throw, and it's over. It is over. But, you know, my third one is, my third key point in this was, how well does Giannis play throughout the series? And yeah, I look stupid, but I didn't think Giannis would be this healthy. From game one, I'm like, okay, if he's going, he looks pretty good. He had that chase down block, and I'm like, okay, Giannis looks semi-healthy. At that point, I'm like, I I guess I should switch it to how well does Chris Middleton play throughout the series if I knew Giannis would play this healthy. Because Chris Middleton, to me, is still their closer. He is still the guy in close games that is getting fed the basketball, and and he's their guy who's going to try and close it. They get the ball in his hands. They get it to Chris Middleton. Um, everyone knows that Giannis, you know, oh, Giannis had that dunk to put the game away. Who got him the ball? Drew Holiday on an alley-oop. Giannis doesn't take people one-on-one unless he backs them down. He's not taking them one-on-one. That's Chris Middleton's job. Chris Middleton has an ice cold, smooth mid-range. You know, it's like a smooth Pepsi. That, that first sip of a Pepsi, oh, it's, it's, it's smooth. Chris Middleton's just got that smooth mid-range game. Um, and Chris Middleton, you look at. You know, game three, he had 18 in the first half. Didn't have any in the second half, but set the tone. Drew Holiday picked up the slack in the second half. Game four, dropped 40. Led them in scoring. 
I think um, Giannis had 26 in that game. Chris Middleton was the reason they won that game. You look at last night. Again, Middleton has 29, second on the team in scoring. His defense, they have, again, two great two-way players. But when Middleton and Giannis are playing well, and, you know, Holiday, if he even gives you some form of consistency, that's a bonus. But... Yeah, I, you know, I thought I didn't think Giannis would be this healthy, but you know, Chris Middleton, when he is again, the first two games he laid eggs and Phoenix ran. Phoenix ran away with those two games at home. Didn't matter. But these past, you know, two and a half, three games, Chris Middleton's played some pretty good ball. And Drew Holiday, again, went four of what'd he go? I think what'd he go? Four of twenty? The last game, and they still won. And the last, my last point here is can the Bucks hit their threes? Can they? I, I didn't want them to get trigger happy. And you know, these um these past couple games, uh well last night they made 50% of their threes. But the Bucks sometimes they play stupid basketball. And they haven't really done it this series, aside for maybe, you know, the first two games. Um, the Bucks are dominant down low. They're dominant down low. That's where they excel. That's where they. That's where they dominate. They dominate down low in the trenches. But you know, one game Milwaukee might shoot sixty percent from three, and they'll be like, you know, we could shoot the threes, and then and then they'll go thirty percent and get and then lose. Um. My that was my biggest concern with them. Milwaukee, they just sometimes they play dumb basketball, and they only shot 28 threes last game. They made 14 of them. Um, Holiday made three. Um, Middleton made three. I think Portis made one. Connaughton might have made three. Tucker made one. Something around there. I don't know, but you know, it's just been. They've just been an inconsistent team from three. And if they were going to win this series, Milwaukee had to realize, we're bigger, stronger. Go down low. Post them up. Beat them. They can't cover Giannis. And they've done that so far. I mean, Phoenix outscored them in the paint last game. Or this game. But... But, um, uh, what you call it? They made more threes. And I, I think even even the Suns, they went 13 of 19 from three. They made almost 60% of their threes. But it, it's just... I think the Bucks made one more three, and they I don't know how they won the game. They lost, you know, the points in the paint battle. It was just... I think the three stars of Milwaukee showing up were just too much for Phoenix to handle. And, you know, going into this game six... Phoenix, I don't know. Phoenix might have their hearts ripped out. These are these were two close games that they were in at the end. And if it weren't for two all-time great plays by Giannis, involved in both of them, the block to Aiton with about just, I think, a minute 15 left. And because, they again, Milwaukee outscored them 8-4 from that point on to win the game. And then you look at this game. Um, or... 
I think one of the reasons they lost last game was also Chris Paul fell down, lost the ball. Um, they had 17 turnovers come in that last game or the game before, game four. Um, I think nine combined from Chris Paul and Devin Booker, something you just don't see because Chris Paul, we call him a floor general for a reason. He doesn't turn the ball over. We see some of these guys in the NBA get 13 assists, but they get five turnovers. So it's sort of like a double-edged sword. You know, they, they they distribute a lot, but they also, you know, give the ball away. Uh, Chris Paul's usually not the type to give the ball away. He's the great distributor. But, you know, Chris Paul lost the ball in that last game. You know, coming in, going into this game, I don't think Chris Paul turned it over. Or if he did, he didn't turn it over much. They only had eight turnovers in, the, in game five. But it was just... You know, Devin Booker um, didn't see Drew Holiday coming. Drew Holiday picks his pocket. They're on the fast break. Uh, Drew Holiday has a two-on-one with Chris Paul. Lobbed it to Giannis, throws it down and one. And then Giannis missed the free throw, but they get the offensive rebounding. A place they've dominated, or the or one of the factors going into the series. The Bucks on the glass. Giannis gets his own rebound, tips it out to Chris Middleton, and all of a sudden it's ball game. So these are two heartbreaking losses. Those are the types of losses that just, they take a toll because you know one or two plays go a different way and you win that ball game. But, you know, going into game six, uh, who's it going to be, Milwaukee or Phoenix? Um I thought it would honestly be 3-2 Phoenix at this point. And, you know, that last game was the difference. I thought Phoenix would win that one. Um, I'm on, I don't see, I, I don't see Milwaukee going back on that plane to Phoenix. I think Milwaukee's at home. Number one, you're not going to be able to get in Giannis's head with the counting. He's a pretty good free throw sh- shooter at home. He shot 13 to 17 at, at home. You know, they're one game. Game three, I believe. You know, so you look at that. Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, they usually play well at home. Chris Middleton has played particularly well in closeout games. You look at him games five and six against the Hawks. Games, you know, maybe five, six, and seven against the Nets. Chris Middleton has played well in those games. And they're at home. So Drew Holiday, again, he could play well. He's coming off a great game. Giannis is at home, of course. This crowd will be behind you. And again, Giannis is a guy you want to rally around. Giannis is a guy you want to root for. And I I, th- I think you've seen that in this, in this series. They have rallied around Giannis. He's an energy guy. He makes energy plays. He's a hustler. Um, you know... The block, the block earlier in the series, the chase down block, the rem- one reminiscent of LeBron James, you know, the ch- the w- block on Aiton. He had to recover from, you know, contesting Booker and making sure he doesn't go up with the layup. Giannis is great at making these hustle plays. Giannis is, you know, the rebounds. He's scrappy on the glass, the putbacks, the dunks, you know, the mean mugging after the dunks. He gets the crowd into it. This is a guy who stayed loyal, stayed loyal to his organization, trusted them, and they didn't sign any big name, you know, stars. Drew Holiday, he's good, 
But come on, he's not Kyrie Irving. He's not a Damian Lillard. He's a great two-way player. He's a closer. That's what he was in New Orleans. And that's what they realized, and that's what they brought him here to do in, in Milwaukee. Alongside that, Chris Middleton, the Batman, the closer. The guy who, you know, has the ball in his hand at the end of games. They believed in him. The, although he's inconsistent, you could say all you want. I even say it. he's a Jekyll and Hyde performer. He could be Michael Jordan or Kyle Kuzma on a night-to-night basis. Just two days apart, he could be one of those two players. They, he stuck with his guy, Chris Middleton. And he stuck with the small... He could have went to new... He could have went to any big market team he wanted to. He stayed in Milwaukee. He believed in the front office. He trusted the people around him. They get Bobby Portis in free agency. They get Jeff T. And he, they trusted their process there in Milwaukee. And look at them now. You could say injuries. Yeah, yeah. You could... All you want. The Milwaukee Bucks are here. They earned it. They were the best team in the Eastern Conference. They that was in part to staying healthy. They did they handled their business. And now Giannis is on the brink of winning his first MVP. Yeah, you could argue Chris Middleton, but you know, it's just the consistency you know you're getting with Giannis. You know he's going to put up these numbers. On a night-to-night basis, you don't know if Chris Middleton has done that. Chris Middleton has a has had a great last three games. Giannis played has played a great five games. That's the difference. It's the most valuable player. And you tell me, if you take Middleton or Giannis, who do, who do they have a better chance at winning this series with? I'm ta- I'm honestly taking Giannis. You could argue, oh, but the bu- the Bucks look good without Giannis. Listen, th- this Phoenix Suns team and the Atlanta Hawks team are, are a little bit different. Well, just a little bit different. They don't win this series without Giannis. They don't. They might. Ha- they have at least might have a shot without Middleton, depending on how Drew Holiday plays. But I think the Bucks will win this game coming up tomorrow. And that will be it. That will close out the series and the Bucks will win 4-2 and win their first championship since 1971. Bada bing, bada boom. The series will be over. And that will lead us into our next topic here of some teams out of the playoffs including some trade rumors Ben Simmons and Damian Lillard that will be up next and now that brings the second segment Mr. Ben Simmons Damian Lillard we're going to start with Ben Simmons first he will or the Sixers have talked. He could be on the move this offseason after, you know, a poor showing for the Sixers who had finals aspirations but were surprisingly eliminated by the Atlanta Hawks in part to Ben Simmons. 
but you know he's supposedly a superstar but superstars you know don't disappear the way he did in the playoffs he didn't shoot a fourth quarter shot in games four through seven shot 34 percent from the line um the front office they put seth curry danny green they added dwight howard shake milton emerged tyrese maxey and you know they look great in the regular season they looked i'm like this is this is a team that's going to the finals and i picked them to go to the finals but man was i wrong i was wrong no he became virtually unplayable in the fourth quarter just because of how bad of a free throw shooter he was he wouldn't shoot he wouldn't drive to the ring he wouldn't do anything you saw it he he was going up for a dunk and he Who'd he pass it off to? Is that... I forget who he passed it off to now. Um, He passed it off to one of his teammates, and they missed the dunk. Or I think they they missed at the line, and they made one of two. Ben Simmons basically had a free dunk. He he, he, he could have dunked it on Trey Young. I think he thought Danilo Gallinari was going to commit to him. Danilo Gallinari didn't do that. And Ben Simmons passed it off and foul... Or it might have been Matisse Stiebel he passed it off to. I th- it could have been. Um, but he became virtually unplayable in playoff time. And he, he, he wouldn't shoot the ball. And Bradley Beal, I think, recently came out. And he, he I guess the Wizards are taking credit for that. But the Wizards did do that. The Wizards did. They did start doing that in their series. When it became clutch time, they f- started fouling Ben Simmons. Is it a punk move? Absolutely. But you got to make your free throws. You got to make them. And I think that that killed his confidence. Um, him just miss after miss. And the, the fans sort of giving him a Bronx cheer every time he made a free throw. It was sort of like... it's It sort of just does a number on your confidence. And I don't know if Ben Simmons, you know, the, the Philly crowd has... You know, rowdy as they can be. Are they going to allow him back in that arena? <laughs> are, are they? I mean, because it sucks because he's great at everything besides shooting. He doesn't have a jump shot. He opted out of the Olympic or, yeah, the Olympic Games to work on his game, which was the right thing to do. You know, I get you want to represent your country, but you also don't want to risk getting hurt. You don't want to you want to work on your game for the NBA as as great as it would it, as it would be for Australia to win gold with him there Ben Ben Simmons needs to work on his game and get you know himself figured out um I, I honestly think it could be the end of the process you know Philly and Minnesota reportedly met in Minnesota with Elton Brand the whole crew was there to reportedly discuss a trade um Minnesota would get, you know, the defensive player of the year candidate. Very versatile, could guard any position. Great passer. And Minnesota's not a great defensive team. And Minnesota's sort of in... Uh, they've got a very young team. They've got a Kogi. They've got Anthony Andrew, Anthony, ah, Anthony Edwards. They've got Cat. Um, and, you know, Cat, I think, would fit better with, you know... Ben Simmons just because Cat 
is a pretty good three-point shooter. Cat could spread the floor. Not that Joel Embiid is not a good three-point shooter, but I think Cat's a little bit better. I think Cat's more willing to stand out on the three-point line and shoot threes. Um, but Embiid's just more dominant in the post. I don't think that where that's where Cat is at, is comfortable. I think Embiid is is you know more dominant, more. I need the ball in the post. Let me work. Where Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons also needs the post. But I mean, if Cat's gonna stand out on the three-point line, pick and pop with him, Ben Simmons going downhill, that could be a good duo. I could see that working. Um, if the T Wolves could, you know, surround Simmons with shooters, space the floor, um, this is the possibility to work. Um, they, they've got a young team. They've got a a, a young core there. Um, with players to build around, and they really do need a defender. I think, you know, Ben Simmons would be a great addition for them. Um, but what would the, it's ultimately going to come out, come down to the Sixers want an all star caliber player in return. And I, the guy I could see them most likely getting, probably D'Angelo Russell. Much better offensively. Um, the biggest thing with D'Lo, questionable shot selection. Um, you know, he's coming off his best three-point season, though. Um, he shot almost 40% on eight attempts. Great ball handler. Him and Joel Embiid in the pick and roll. This could work. Um, he's surrounded by great defenders. Uh, and I, I, I do think it could work. Um, he, he's, but he, again, he's been an average three-point shooter throughout his whole career. Last year, again, could be an outlier, possibly. But again, you know players do get paid most most often most often after what they just did and you know if he's going to shoot 40 percent on almost eight attempts a game yeah i think the sixers are going to take that because you know he's also a big time shot maker he, he he most notably with the nets what he did with them this is a guy who could take big big time shots again the sixers will sacrifice some defense but they have a they have another defensive player of the year they have another great defender on their roster Matisse Thibel again he's more of a three and D player he doesn't have much offensively but if he evolves his game he could be a lot more than that he was in he was on an all defensive team him and Simmons people criticize that because Matisse Thibel you know didn't have as many minutes but look at the numbers Matisse Thibel plays elite defense he's an elite defender he could take your best player and lock him up too there is no reason he can't. Um, there's just, again, some offensive limitations with him. But I think the Sixers, with the way, with the number of defenders they have on their roster, they should be willing to sacrifice this because D'Angelo Russell is not a guy you're going to take off the court in the final final two minutes of a game. D'Angelo Russell is going to be there, and he's going to shoot shots in the fourth quarter. He's going to give you something offensively. And then you have a guy like, again, bring Matisse Stiebel in the game. Bring Matisse Stiebel in the game. And put put him on their best player. The, the, again, this could work. You look at another team. The, how about the Golden State Warriors? Um, the Warriors again have picks. They have young talent to possibly make a run for Simmons. And I said this on my radio show on the Bench Sports app. Um, pairing him with Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Um, imagine that death lineup and whoever they put at small forward: Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, um, Juan. I don't know his name. Juan Pascano, um, number 95 on the Warriors. I'm sure some of y'all know who I'm talking about. Um, this would be a hell of a death lineup. Um, 
You know, Steph Curry could play off ball. And again, they made this work with Kevon Looney and Zaza Pachulia, who are, again, Kevin Looney, who's still on the roster, but Simmons is a lot more talented than those two guys. I could tell you that. He could pass. He could play better defense, run the floor, rebound. Simmons is, has a lot to bring to the table. And again, Steph Curry, we've seen people say what he can do off ball. He runs around the court. It's like he's running a marathon off ball. You've got to run through screen after screen after screen, and he doesn't stop moving. And you see the facial expressions of some of these guys. These guys are exhausted from chasing him around. Um, you know, Steph Curry, you know, we know the gravity. You know, people talk about his gravity, the, the amount of people that gravitate towards him when he has the ball. Um, with Ben Simmons, you know, with Steph Curry not, yeah, with Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons could take you to the hole as well. Ben Simmons, again, could be a facilitator for this team. You could run a pick and roll with Ben Simmons. Um, imagine that. Ben Simmons, pick your poison. Ben Simmons going to the hole or Steph Curry. You're probably going to foul Ben Simmons if he gets the ball, which wouldn't be a bad idea. But, again, it's, it's the thought of that. How a team is going to defend that. And, you know, you, you, you look at this as well. Um, Draymond. I mean, you could you could all the wear and tear that uh, that's what I'm looking. For. The wear and tear that this has on Draymond's body. Um, Draymond, you know, he's the scrapper of this Warriors team. He's also getting older. Draymond can't do what he used to do and expect to play 82 games. That takes a toll on his body. He does all the scrappy crap for the Warriors. Loose balls, rebounding, banging bodies down low, defending big men, defending the rim. Draymond can do that, but he needs a break. He needs someone, you know, who could go out there and do the same thing as him. Why not Ben Simmons? Ben Simmons, listen, we got to he right now at this point in his career, he's closer to a Draymond Green than he is to a LeBron James. Because he needs to develop a jump shot. He can do everything besides shoot the ball. And Draymond has had limitations offensively as well. And you know, you have... Yeah, you have Draymond. You have Klay Thompson, who's an off-ball shooter. Um, and you know, you have all these shooters around you. All of a sudden, Ben Simmons has a lane to the rim one-on-one. -on -one. And we know he could take people to the rim when he's one-on-one. -on -one. We know it because we've seen it. I mean, the Warriors, again, they could. Am I saying this is a must, you know, need for the Warriors? No. But it's nice to think about. I mean, if Simmons, again, if, if Simmons is as committed to shooting as he says he is, and, and, you know, the and the Sixers are, you know, committed to trading him. I think the Warriors would make a take a chance on him, and again, this would this would make them instant finals contenders, which they already could be with Steph and Clay coming back. Um, if he expands his his range just a little, develops a little bit of a mid range game, a post game, because it's not going to come all at once. But if he expands it little by little, I'm willing to take that chance with Ben Simmons. I am.
um, you know, it, it would make this team a finals contender. It would. And it would also possibly extend that dynasty because it would take the pressure off of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, who are all getting older and who, you know, Steph's been injury prone. He just came off an injury the year before. Clay Thompson, the ACL, Draymond, the beating he takes. Ben Simmons could take pressure off of all of them. So if I'm the Warriors, I'm at least I'm at least kicking the rocks here and looking into this because they have the ammunition to do it. Maybe the Chicago Bulls. How about them? I know people are gonna be like, "What?" Um, yeah, the Chicago Bulls again. Zach Levine, Kobe White, Nikola Ah, Nikola Vucevic. Um, they're all in on winning right now. Are they finals contenders? Hell no. They missed the playoffs. And they, and they didn't play well after they got Nikola Vucevic. And Nikola Vucevic is a very underrated center, in my opinion. He could... he, I like his game. He could shoot the three ball well. Great down low. Not the best defender. Um, but he is a smart, high IQ player. Um, why not go out and get a defensive presence? Because you're lacking that on the Chicago Bulls. Bulls, they could do it all. They already have a lot of shooting. Otto Porter, they have Patrick Williams, Levine, Colby White. Um, as I mentioned, Vucevic, who could shoot the three. On the they could they were on the brink of playoff contention last year. And again, adding Ben Simmons puts them over the top. They're in the playoffs with Ben Simmons. And they need defense. So this will make a lot of sense. And Levine's still young. Colby White, you don't want to waste these guys' primes. I know Nikola Vucevic is a little bit older, but again. You're in win-now mode if you're the Bulls. If you're all in, kick the rocks on Ben Simmons. See what... The, you know, you're probably going to have to offer someone. I don't know who on your roster the, the Sixers would be interested in, but you're probably going to have to give up some of your future, which makes sense because it looks like you're in win-now mode. Um, And, you know, we're going to move on to the Trailblazers here. Now it... Um, I, I think, again, this, this makes maybe the most sense for both teams, maybe besides the Timberwolves. You trade for McCollum. You give Lillard a defensive big who could also handle the ball, something the, the Trailblazers have been lacking, and, and it, gives, it gives them a versatile defender. Um, you know, Ennis Kanner, Yusuf Nurkic, they aren't, you know, they're good offensive bigs. They could give you stuff offensively, offensive rebounding. But this team, defensively, they are bad re at rebounding. Ben Simmons could give you that. He could also defend the opposing bigs pretty well, even though he is 6'10". He's pretty athletic. He could jump. He's got the size for it. He's pretty built. Ben Simmons could defend. So if, if I'm the Blazers, um, I think this would make sense. Um, you give him a column. The Sixers get a guy who could score. Maybe give him some picks. Um, but, you know, offensively, they, they get a guy who could score the basketball and isn't a liability in clutch time, even though McCollum has had questions in the postseason. But, you know, that brings us to Damian Lillard. Um, who could I see him going to? Uh, New Orleans, I think, is a team. They have a plethora, young talent. You know, Nigel, uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Jackson Hayes, Josh Hart, Lonzo Ball. They have 11 picks in the next seven years. They have the ammunition to try and make a run for him. 
Um, you pair Damian Lillard and Zion Williamson. You know how explosive that duo would be in New Orleans? I think that'd be pretty damn good. That's one of the best offensive duos in the league right there. Zion's pretty efficient. Dame's among the top two point guards in the league. And you know, they needed more shooting around him. So that helps Zion even more. And Lillard, Lillard gets a, a big unlike he's ever seen in his career. So this benefits both guys. Um, and this is a this is a again a duo that could really, really do something in the Western Conference. They're young, they've got ammunition. I, they need I I still think they need more defense around him, but again, if you get Damian Lillard, maybe you get you somehow get Lonzo Ball to stay in New Orleans. That could that, that could work. That could really really work. If you're the if you're the New Orleans Pelicans. And again, I'm going to bring up the Sixers again here. That's another team. Maybe they trade Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard. Along, you know, maybe Trailblazers just decide to blow it all up. Which, again, I don't think they will. Because, again, Damian Lillard wanted Chauncey Billups. So, I don't think they're going to blow it all up. But, again, possibility. They trade Ben Ben Simmons along with some other young assets. You know, maybe Maxie, Milton. We'll see. Um, They pair Embiid with one of the best shooters in the NBA. That pick and roll, again, would be lethal with Lillard and Embiid and he's got this perfect mentality for Philadelphia Damian Lillard you look at it he's a no excuses guy this guy wants to win a chip and it gives Philly another shooter a scorer a guy who could go ISO get his own bucket and Lillard Again, he's one of the best clutch time players in the NBA. We've seen some of the big shots he's hit. And you pair that with Joel Embiid, the dominance he has down low. That could be That could be deadly. That is argue that is arguably the best point guard center duo in the NBA. Could that be, you know, another Kobe Shaq, I I know I'm stretching a little bit. I know you got to win a chip. But in terms of talent, I like that duo. And again, it's one of the best clutch time players, which is the opposite of Ben Simmons, who's been absolutely terrible in clutch time. So you look at this and you're like, okay. You, you You look at this and you're like, okay. You know, this could work. And if the Sixers are in win-now mode, do it. Joel Embiid's not getting any younger. Joel Embiid's had a history of injury. So how long is he going to last? Joel Embiid is the guy you want to keep here. You are not trading Joel Embiid. You are building this team right now around Joel Embiid. So why not get Lillard? But brings us to another Eastern Conference team, a team that surprised everyone this year, the New York Knicks. Lillard gets the spotlight he deserves. He gets a young a young team, a Knicks roster that, you know, didn't really have outside of Julius Randle. And Julius Randle disappeared in the playoffs. He went Casper the Ghost on the Knicks. 
They were the five seed. They didn't have many offensive weapons outside of D. Rose, who was probably their best player in that series. R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, as I've said, Mitchell Robinson. Jesus, Lord. I'm still sick, if you cannot tell. But then again, they lacked offensive weapons. Jesus, Lord. Lillard, again, would be paired with Randle, R.J. Barrett. They're probably going to have to give up some people. Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel quickly, maybe have to give him up. Maybe have to give up, you know, Frank Nielakina. Maybe have to give up some of those younger assets that got you there. But I think they'd be willing to do that to bring a star back in the garden. Must-see TV. Damian Lillard is must-see. Fill up MSG. Get Spike Lee back in the building. Get all those stars back in MSG. This is the way you do it. And again, one of the best defensive teams in basketball, something the Blazers struggled immensely at. And I know you're giving up defense with, you know, Damian Lillard, but R.J. Barrett's a hell of a defender. Julius Randle's a good defender. Mitchell Robinson is a great rim protector down low along with Nerlens Noel. And again, this could be the offensive weapon they need to put them over the hump. This team was scrappy. This team got it done the old-fashioned way with Tom Thibodeau, a guy everyone respects around the league. This could put them into the top tier of the Eastern Conference. But hey, hey, if, you know, again, the Knicks could be a place where Lillard could be headed. And I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know... That's not the only changes that are coming to the NBA. We got some coaching changes as well, and they will be coming your way next. That brings us on to the coaching changes we've seen. Um, First one, again, really isn't coaching change. Nate McMillan signed a new four-year deal to become the head coach of the Hawks. It went 35 and 16 after he got hired, um, including the playoffs. This was a no-brainer. Um, what he did, um, the, again, the players seemed to love him, and you know, you, it, it'd be pretty stupid of them to uh, fire, you know, Nate, Nate McMillan after the job he did with this Hawks team. Um, they still have loads of young talent: Young, Werder, Capella. Bogdanovich, um, John Collins, they've got to re-sign. DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish. The, you know, they still have key veterans in Gallinari, Lou Williams. Um, this Hawks team is really built for the future. Um, Nate McMillan, again, he, he did a great job after he took over. And I think this Hawks team, you know, they're going to be expected now. Trey Young, the expectations rise once we see you play well. So I think, you know, this team's going to be expected to be in that middle tier in the Eastern Conference just like they were last year. That 4-5 seed. But the Eastern Conference, again, is like a revolving door each year. We don't know who's coming. Who's who's going to improve? Who, who's, who's going where? Um, what team is going to surprise? We saw the Hawks and Knicks really surprise last year. Um, 
you know, but now the expectations are different for those two teams. Now they are expected to play well once you make the playoffs. Except if you're maybe like the 7-8 seed in the East, because you never know what happens with those teams. Um, but again, the players seem to like him. They seem to rally around him. They really seem to connect with him. The mentality he bring, he brought, um, you know, he held them accountable. But most importantly, he he held himself accountable when he was in the wrong. When he when they didn't meet expectations, when they didn't get the job done. Uh, but I I really I really like this Hawks future, and I think he's an important cog in this system here for the Hawks. And, you know, I can't wait to see what this team brings to the table next year. Um, and he also, you know, cited he wanted to stay in Atlanta. He cited the front office's desire to win, the aggressive moves they made with Bogdanovich, um, signing Gallinari, Lou Williams. You know, they signed Rajon Rondo. So this team is in win. They want to win. You know, they've got a young roster, but it's littered with talent. This could be a team, you know, we're, we're talking about in the next three, four years as maybe one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see. You know, could it have been a one-year blur? Possibly, but, you know, the way that team looked in the playoffs, this team is not afraid. This team is not, and it goes by the leader of that team, Trey Young. This team is not going to back down. But on our next coach, Ime Udoka to the Nets. Udoka worked with the U.S. national team. Um, he has experience with their three stars, Tatum, Brown, and Smart. So um, he had a great relationship with them. They seem to really like him. Um, he has experience with Greg Popovich, and who's obviously, you know, the the goat of coaching of maybe in our era. So, you know, anytime on you have someone has experience with Greg Popovich, you know, you, you you really you re- you really want to hire them especially if they have you know experience with a guy like him i think pop spoke spoke of him very fondly pop liked him um popovich again who i think has a great relationship with brad stevens as well but again udoka mo- was most recently with the nets you know we saw with them with kd harden kyrie uh you know brad stevens um, he's he's a great X's and O's coach, but you know I never thought he was a guy who was going to go out there and motivate his guys to do better. Brad Stevens is a great basketball mind, but you know there's a certain mentality you need as a head coach as well. You you got uh, you have to obviously know the game, you know make adjustments throughout the game, but you have to be able to go out there and your players need to want to rally around you. You need to be able to galvanize the troops, you know be a leader. And I don't think Brad Stevens was ever that guy. I don't think Brad Stevens, that's not him. Ime Udoka, you know, you look at his playing career. He was sort of a defensive player, a grit and grind type of guy. Um, plays hard. And I think that's what Boston wanted. They wanted a guy who not only, you know, fit with what they were trying to do, fit their, you know, plan, whatever they're, he's, uh, pop. Um, Brad Stevens also liked him because he was a process-oriented coach. But, you know, you, you don't want their, their plan to fit, their scheme to fit. You also want them to, you know, fit the culture of your organization. And that Boston organization, they're grit and grind. You know, they're hardcore. They're, they're not a team who's going to back down. They're hard-nosed. They, they wanted 
you need to have your own personality as your head coach. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, you look at other head coaches that have come down the coaching tree, they sort of try to implement, you know, other people's, you know, they sort of try to implement other people's plans into, you know, their own plan. They sort of try to carry over. And you can't do that. You have to have your own personality, your own way of doing things. You 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 can take aspects of what you learn from them, but you can't, you can't replicate, you know, what someone else does. You have to have your own way of doing things to be successful. And I think that's something that Boston also liked about him. You know, He's his own guy. He's a young guy. He's also 40. So, you know, he could relate to Tatum Tatum Brown and, you know, maybe these young guys who, you know, are sort of in the social media era, the, you know, you know, TikTok and all that, you know, so maybe they also wanted a guy. They didn't want some old guy coming in here, you know, especially when your two best players are younger guys. You want some guy who's going to relate to them, who's going to challenge them but is also going to be held accountable for himself. Um, and, and I'm excited to see what he brings to the Nets. As this, um, I mean, not the Nets, the Celtics. As you know, the Celtics sort of underwhelmed last year. And, you know, he's going to have, you know, some things to do with this roster. They already moved Kemba Walker, but, you know, I don't expect this Celtics team to be very quiet in the offseason. Um, you know, you look at Jason... Um, next coach, Jason Kidd, he's going back home to Dallas to coach Luka. And th- I find this pairing very interesting because Kidd, like Luka, great passer, great basketball mind, high basketball IQ. Um, you know, Kidd, one of the best point guards of all time. Um, they Both guys could set up their teams with easy buckets. Um, but Kidd has a strong relationship with Cuban, Nowitzki. Doncic signed off on him as well. Um um, but he's again, he's a guy who's very demanding style of play. He demands a lot out of his players, and you know, from his previous jobs. Listen, his record is pretty average for a head coach. I think he's somewhere around 500. Um, but you know, Giannis even said, you know, he liked Kid personally, but he just started tuning him out. He started critiquing him so much. Um, but you know, both public and private, uh, players just started to tune him out. Um, Kid has also, you know, only advanced out of the first round once in his, you know, head coaching career. And that's what Dallas needs help with. You know, they they beat the Clippers. They lost to the Clippers in six, lost to the Clippers in seven in the first round. And that's just, that's that's something they need help with. You also need to figure out, you know, Kristaps, who I think just came out today and said that, you know, with, with under the... Dallas's scheme that you know he was told to just stand in the corner and that you know the ball if the ball came to him the ball came to him and you know if he had room to drive then he could he could drive if he wanted to but Kristaps said you know he if it was going to help us win then I, I was going to do it didn't help them win and he obviously became frustrated because they didn't win but Kristaps called himself a good soldier but you also have to figure out what you're going to do with him um Kristaps, again, is a guy who we know there's talent there. He's, he's a, again, we saw what he could do in New York. But Jason Kidd's got to figure out a way to, you know, use him better than what Rick Carlisle did. Kristaps has a post game. He was compared to Dirk. Dirk also had a post game. So you need, and Kristaps is also a shot blocker. He's a guy who could, 
drive it, take it to the rim. We, we saw all these highlight plays in New York, and I don't think Dallas is really, or Rick Carlisle has really used him right. Um, but he's going to have to figure out that pairing, and maybe they move Kristaps. I don't know. Um, but the next, our next coach on our list here, Chauncey Billups. He's hired as the Trailblazers head coach. Um, he's been a deserving candidate for a while now, but now he gets the tough task right now. You have Damian Lillard. You got to keep him happy. You have to figure out if McCollum, is he the right running mate? Do you try and trade for a guy like Ben Simmons? Try to trade for a Carl Anthony Towns. Um, they, he needs to improve, again, a disastrous defense. You have Robert Covington. Um, but you don't really have much there defensively. You need to get some you know, wings out there, wing defenders. Damian Lillard and McCollum, as great as they are, they are very limited defensively just because of their size. They're very undersized guards. So I think you need some defensive point guards in there as well. Um, the uncertainty at the center position, Yusuf Nurkic, Ennis Kanner, um, both of whom are great offensively. Kanner, great offensive rebounder, great at great around the rim. Yusuf Nurkic, he's got a great game as well. Um, but, you know, Yusuf Nurkic, he doesn't know if he's going to be there. Um, he said he was. this team needed some change, and was he talking about Kerry Stouts? Maybe he was. Because, you know, he came to Damian Lillard's defense and said, you know, Lillard's not going anywhere. So it looks like he wants to stay there. And he's also said, if Lillard's out, I'm, I'm out. So, but you need, you need to get some defensive centers. They are defensive liabilities at center. We saw, um, you know, Jokic just torch them. Um, but, you know, they need, you know, some rim protectors. Maybe Hassan Whiteside. Who they did have at one point. Um, you know, maybe they bring in Ben Simmons, who could, you know, give them more of a defensive presence at center, which is something this team has lacked. And, you know, they could score the basketball as good as anyone in the league. But when it comes time to stop people, they can't do that. They just aren't a good defensive team. They need a rim protector. They need someone down low who sets the tone, and they don't have that in Yusuf Nurkic or Kanner, at least not defensively. You know, I think they need to move one of those guys to get, you know, someone who's a rim protector. Because I, with both of those guys on your roster, you're going to get torched night in and night out with who's ever at center. Um, the Wizards also signed Wes Unsell Jr., New era in Washington, baby. Four-year contract. You bring back the the son of your only, you know, finals MVP, finals winner, member of the finals team, um, Wes Unsell, Wes Unsell Jr. I'm excited. Um, you know, he was with Denver for a while. Denver had a lot of success there with Mike Malone. So, you know, he, he probably took some stuff from his culture. And that made sense. Wes Unsell Jr., that that signing made sense. Uh, the Wizards, again, needed a fresh start. They needed someone after Scott Brooks, you know, just... Scott Brooks was unable to get his job... Just unable to... To get this team over the hump and I don't think he was the he, he's not the right guy for the team right now this team you know Bradley Beal Russell Westbrook they've got talent they are intriguing coaching jobs you have Rui Hachimura um but you know I, I like this signing 
And again, he's one of the most the high, most highly regarded assistant coaches in the NBA. Um, Tommy Shepard, GM of the Wizards, said he he clearly separated himself. Um, and again, he has twenty plus years of coaching, so he's got experience. This this isn't you know oh he, he got a job because of his dad. No, he grinded. He played you know. He has a strong record as an in-game tactician, attention to detail but on both sides of the ball. You know, Tommy Shepard said, re- reputation for player development, outstanding character. Um, and again, he's familiar with the Wizards organization, you know, because of his dad. He worked. He was raised in the Wizards organization. He worked 14 years in scouting and coaching roles before moving on to becoming, you know, an assistant coach. Um And, you know, with the Wizards, again, you've got talent. Westbrook, Beal, Hachimura, Thomas Bryant's coming back with a strong start. The Wizards need a big. Um, you know, who do they go after in free agency? This roster needs upgrade. Breton signed a new deal. Um, but I, the, the glaring hole to me right now and again, is, is defense. It is defense. First and foremost, you need to address the defense because the Wizards were among the leading scoring teams in the NBA, but they were last in points allowed. They need guys who could guard. Um, Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal aren't two of the most premier defenders in the NBA. Rui Hachimura took strides defensively, but I think you need a, I think you need a big who you could pair with Beal and Westbrook, who is not only could give you something on the offensive end. I'm more concerned about what they can give you defensively just because of the offensive output Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook could give you. I mean, I want, you know, this big to be able to do something offensively, but I think defensively they need help. They need a rim protector. They need a guy who, you know, deters people from attacking the paint. Um, I think they also need better wing defenders. Um, you know, Troy Brown Jr. I don't know what they're going to... You know, the Wizards have so many wings on their roster that have potential. Denny Avia, I don't think he's a great defender. Um, They need someone on this, you know, on this team who could play defense. And, you know, you want to keep Bradley Beal happy. You want to keep Russell Westbrook happy. So you you are in win-now mode if if, if you're Wes Unsell. So I'm I'm interested to see what he's going to do. Um... But I like the hire. I think it was well deserved, and I I think it made sense for you know where this team is going. And lastly, or who we got? We have Jamal Mosley, the Magic, and then we had uh, Willie Green, Phoenix Suns assistant, going to New Orleans. Um, and you know that's another intriguing job, just because of the amount of young talent New Orleans has. I never thought Stan Van Gundy was the right type of coach for, you know, uh, for the Pelicans. I never thought, you know, he fit in with, you know, all the young players there. He's sort of a, he's sort of an, an old-minded head coach, you know. You know, I, I, I don't think he really fit, uh, really, you know, fit fit what they were trying to do there in New Orleans and I don't think it really fit around you know that team's young core I don't think it really meshed well and you know so it made sense for the Pelicans to get rid of him after one year 
because you know you, you want a guy who could connect with your young players and I, I just don't think Stan Van Gundy did that but you know you have Zion Brandon Williamson Jackson, Jackson Hayes 11 picks in the next seven years if you're the Pelicans so you know you've got a lot of ammunition do you do you make a move if you're Willie Green do you do you go out and try to you know you go out and try to make a move for a star player because the the Pelicans need three-point shooting they need they need a um, they need def- they need three-point shooting and defense um, those are probably the two biggest things they need um, you have questions about Lonzo Ball will he he'll still be there um, because you know he's getting looks from the Lakers most recently so it's going to be interesting to see what you know Willie Green has in mind for New Orleans's future but you know that's the great thing about the offseason you never know what's going to happen but it's going to be an intriguing offseason that's all I'm going to say um, next you know after we're going to be moving on to you know another team that was eliminated from the playoffs the Lakers you know they have some rumors going right right now with DeMar DeRozan um, do I like that move That'll be coming up next. Now, you know, rumor has it the Lakers will go after the aging Spurs star, DeMar DeRozan. Um, This to me is a very intriguing option just because the Lakers, you know, they're in search of a third star. And DeRozan is a guy, you know, DeRozan's a guy who could give you 20 a night. I think he could give you something around there. Um, great two-way player. Uh, guy who could provide production both ends of the floor. So, right what the Lakers need in terms of, you know, being great offensively and defensively. Um, he also averaged, you know, people don't realize it. He averaged seven assists last year with the Spurs. Um, he could be a playmaker, which would allow LeBron, you know, not to be as much high usage to play more off ball could you know he doesn't need to you know you know spoon fees you know DeMar DeRozan's a guy who could get who could get you a bucket DeMar DeRozan's also you know a guy who could as you see by the seven assists he's a guy who could you know set things up for other players something LeBron has always had the burden of doing he's always had the burden of you know setting up you know, the three-point shooters, driving and kicking, all of that fun stuff. But, you know, on this Lakers roster right now, you know, Dennis Schroeder didn't live up to the hype. He was supposed to be a guy who could get his own bucket. He flopped in the playoffs. Anthony Davis got hurt. You know, we we know he could get his own bucket. Um, Kuzma's not efficient enough. Or I, I think Kuzma's probably done there. But... There's not many guys, you know, on this Lakers roster that could go out and get their own bucket. You know, Caruso's not really a guy who could do that. Um, KCP's more of a 3 and D guy. So is Wesley Matthews. Um, you know, Mont- Montrez Harrell's not... I, they didn't play him enough. That's on Frank Vogel. I don't know why you wouldn't play him enough or wouldn't play him as much just because he went sixth man of the year, averaged 18 points a game. But again, that's on Frank Vogel. And... Another thing about DeMar DeRozan, he has ties to the L.A. area. So, you know, he could get his own bucket, could could um, facilitate both ends of the floor, 
Um, and it takes a burn off LeBron. So again, this has this has potential to work. I mean, there are reasons wh- why I will list later why it it might not work or it might not be the best move for them. Um, you know, what would the Lakers need to do to get DeRozan? I'm thinking maybe a sign and trade for Montrez Harrell and the Lakers' first round pick. Uh, you know, the Lakers would also have to dump Kuzma's salary in some form. Because, again, he views him himself as a budding star, even though I've been saying that he probably needs a change of scenery. And I don't think he right now is in the Lakers' future because I don't think he's going to get the opportunities to be a, you know, 25-point-per-game score, a guy who is an all-star. I don't think he's going to get that type of, you know, opportunity in L.A. Um, DeRozan also, again, a lot more efficient than... Than Kuzma, he, DeRozan has a 7.4 offensive win shares as well. The Lakers will need that with Schroeder likely out the door. Um, and again, this was Rondo's primary role as well. A guy who could facilitate. A guy who could take the load off LeBron. Um, and, you know, win shares, you know, just prove how much a, a player means to a team. And the higher the win share, the higher he means to a team. And DeRozan meant a lot to the Spurs. Again, he's got a killer mid-range game, create his own shot. Great defender, could guard, you know, point guard, shooting guard, forward. He's, he can't guard a big, obviously, but he's a very versatile defender. And he's going to give you it all on both ends of the floor. Um, but the biggest flaw of this whole thing, DeMar DeRozan would seem like the perfect fit if he could do just this one thing. Shoot the three ball. Um, Yeah, the Lakers, you know, most, you know, glaring issue. Glaring. Like, you could see it when you're watching the Western Conference, you know, first round of that Western Conference series against the Suns. The floor spacing of the Lakers was atrocious. The Lakers were, could not hit a three. Kuzman's not a great three-point shooter. Schroeder played terrible. Um, KCP wasn't himself. They didn't have AD. LeBron's an average three-point shooter. He's very streaky. Um, But yeah, DeMar DeRozan's not a shooter. Great mid-range game would be great in, you know, the Jordan era, the 90s. Um, Because mid-range jumpers were at a premium there. Um, and DeMar DeRozan's a fantastic mid-range shooter. He could get his bucket. He could get to the hole, create his own shot, facilitate, but he can't shoot a three for his life. No, he shot just 19 of 74 last season from three. Um, yeah, only shot 74 threes in this day and age. Um, you'd probably, you sometimes would see that a night, um, combined between both teams in the NBA and he shot 74 in a season. Only made 19 in them. And DeRosa might be an all-time great if he didn't play in this era. Just because he's he's great at everything else. He just can't shoot the three ball. And he's a great mid-range shooter. And he could facilitate. And he's a pretty good defender. He he would probably be better. He you know, he's an era ahead. He's an era ahead of his time. 
and this would just this would not make sense for the Lakers to try and add him just because again they can't shoot the three ball well. We saw what happened in the playoffs with their three point shooting, and it just it it wouldn't work. It would not work. Um, the Lakers could add DeRozan, but again they would be strapped for cash, and they would also need to sign shooters at a bargain deal because DeRozan has a hefty contract on his hands, and. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't sign DeRozan. Uh, the market suggests he might get somewhere around $25, $30 million, And it's just not something you want to do for a guy who can't shoot. Because shooting is at a premium in today's NBA. And DeRozan's not going to give you that. Although he could do almost everything else. you know. But it just wouldn't benefit the Lakers at all to do this. The, if the Lakers already had shooting and they needed a playmaker, then I'd be like, sure, this would make perfect sense. But Lakers need shooting. They need it. And it's just too big of a cap hit for a guy who doesn't address your biggest concern. Um, you know, you look at the Lakers. Um, who, who else could they go after then? Spencer Dinwiddie. I know he's coming off of an injury. Maybe they take a chance and sign him. He could shoot. Um, he's also from the. He's eyeing a return to the LA area. You know, so you do. Do you sign him to be your starting point guard? I'd do it. Um, you know. I think it'd work. I think it's worth a shot. You know, the Lakers are in... They're still contending for the finals. And they need shooting. So, why not take a chance on him? Or maybe a guy like Kemba Walker. That maybe they thunder. They inquire about him. It's unlikely the thunder will give him up. Because he is paired with SGA. And that's a pretty good backcourt. But Kemba Walker is a guy who could shoot. Create for his teammates. A guy who could also create his own shot. Be a scorer. You know, we saw Cardiac Kemba there in Charlotte. It didn't necessarily work out in Boston. But Kemba Walker's a guy who could score. He's not the best defender. But you need scoring. You need shooting. Kemba Walker's your guy. And I think, you know, LeBron has experience playing with him on some of those Eastern Conference All-Star teams as well. Um, Kyle Lowry. I know he's 35. But he's gritty. He's a guy who's not going to back down. Great at taking charges on defense. Um, he could shoot. He could get to the rim. He's, you know, not the biggest guy. He's got a dump truck on him. But he's not the biggest guy. Um, but, again, he's a guy who could create his own shot, distribute, do everything I just said. But he's old. Um, so, if the Lakers are in win-now mode, he, you know, do you take a chance on him and... What if he falls off? That's my biggest concern about Kyle Lowry. What if he falls off? Um, you know, this is a guy I'm also interested in. Buddy Hield. Um, You know, for the Kings, sort of had a down year, disappointing year with the Kings. But he could shoot the three ball well. Um, he needs to improve defensively. He doesn't really have a mid-range game. Um but he, again, he's an improving NBA player. And I think he's a guy who could fit well with the Lakers. It, it addresses their biggest need. Um, but defensively, I don't know. I'm not sure how good he is at creating his own shot. That would be another concern of mine. But my last person out here would probably be Malcolm Brogdon. Depending on, you know, he's improved every year. 
And this also depends on what what are the what direction are the Pacers going in. He's probably, if I had to guess, in their future. So this is unlikely. But, you know, he's a great defensive player. He's a guy who could distribute, who could shoot the three ball. And it would make it would just make sense for Lakers to do this. But I, I'd imagine Rick Carlisle would like to keep, you know, some of his younger guys who have potential. And Malcolm Brogdon is one of those guys. So I don't think that is going to be a possibility. But... You know, offseason is unpredictable. We'll see what happens. Um, but that will be it for this episode. I just realized how long I talked for. And we're already almost over an hour. And I have an NFL segment to do. So it, you know, probably isn't going to work if I try to do an NFL segment. It would, this would probably, we're already over an hour. This would end up being two hours. And I know. Most of you people don't listen for more than probably 15 minutes to my podcast, so I'm not going to put in a two-hour podcast that you're going to listen 15 minutes to. But again, have a great day. Um, have a great summer. You know, college is coming up soon. So cherish that time of the summer. Go on vacation. Do what you love. Um, be yourself. All these, all these positive messages. Um, hope you enjoyed today's episode, though. Goodbye.